WTTM 250. Before we begin the show this week, I wanted to put this out. A lot of people have been giving me positive feedback in regards to the Walt Disney World-based show that featured Terry's and Tony from Above the Firehouse, I almost said Above the Fireplace, first trip to Walt Disney World. And so I'm uh, putting this out to you guys. If you're interested in hearing more of this trip that took place in 2007, matter of fact, the way we're thinking of doing it is as basically just chronicling the entire trip, please give us a call at the Window to the Magic hotline at 206-984-9886 and leave us a message telling us that you liked the other show and that you would like us to play the rest of it. The number is 206-984-9886. Hello, Paul. This is Roger Colton, and I wanted to share a very special opportunity coming up next month in October. The Carrollwood Pacific Foundation is announcing their 2010 fall rail trip called Together Again. It includes the opportunity to ride aboard the original Santa Fe and Disneyland Combine Coach, as well as the other four coaches at the historic Santa Margarita Ranch. For more information, folks should visit www.carolwood.org and click on the event information there. should be a good time. It promises to be the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to ride on the original Santa Fe and Disneyland Combine as well as the coaches before the Combine goes off to its display at Griffith Park next to Walt's Barn. Thanks, Paul. Hi, Paul. It's Eric, also known as EWW, from the forums and Twitter. First and foremost, congratulations on reaching show number 250. Thank you for all of the hard work and effort that you put into producing Window to the Magic. I remember the first time I heard your binaural audio. The sounds of Disneyland surrounding me takes me right into the park. It's definitely good to know that while I may have to work in an office, any given episode of Window to the Magic will transport me to Main Street USA and beyond. Show number 249 was fun. One of the things I enjoy most about these type of shows is the feeling that I'm sitting in on a conversation with friends. I think a series featuring the rides, attractions, and shows that you and Terry experienced at Walt Disney World would be entertaining. Well, as long as you keep out the hour-long bus rides. Keep up the great work, Paul. I'm looking forward to what's coming up in the next 250 shows. This episode of Paul Berry's A Window to the Magic is brought to you by... You! Yes, you! Window to the Magic is supported by its listeners and is totally commercial sponsor-free. Just pure, family-friendly, and kid-safe entertainment in stunning binaural sound. It takes a lot to keep this show coming to you, and we hope you'll agree that the result is definitely worth the cost. Please support the cause by visiting windowtothemagic.com and signing up for reoccurring support of as little as $3 a month. Together, we can keep the magic alive. You're listening to the Window to the Magic dot com podcast brought to you by window to the magic dot com surround yourself with the magic hello and welcome to a window to the magic My name is Paul, and as always, I will be your guide through the wonderful world of Disney sound experiences. This show is an audio trip through the world of the Disney theme parks and resorts, and this is the place where you get to use your ears to surround yourself with the magic. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to episode number 250 of A Window to the Magic. 
the ultimate Disney audio adventure. This week, my good friend Ryan Doerr joins me for a different look at a trip to the Disney theme parks. A trip in which you can't look. And what the Walt Disney Company is doing to make such a visit more magical than ever. Okay, so we've all been to the Disney parks many, many times. And we all kind of know when we go what we're going to see, what we're going to hear, kind of what the experience is going to be like. Even if we haven't ever been there before, we know from doing research and whatever pretty much what we're going to see when we get there. Well, what if you took the trip to Disney and you couldn't? see if the only sense that you had was your ears now we kind of do that with window to the magic as we're listening through and going through with the binaural recordings we're not seeing what we're doing and we're kind of following along but imagine going to the parks and doing that for real where if you actually were to go into the park and you took a wrong step you could end up in a lake. I have with me today one of my good friends, Ryan Doerr. Welcome, Ryan. Hey, what's going on? And just kind of, you know, getting into this idea of, uh, of going to the parks like you do. And it, it's always just absolutely amazed me uh, that you can go to Disney World all by yourself and, and get around. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where um, I'm sort of in a unique position. Uh, I was one of those lucky kids whose parents, you know, thought that, hey, Disney's cool. Let's go to Disney World uh, for vacation. So I kind of grew up going to uh, the Magic Kingdom and Epcot and uh, Hollywood Studios when it was MGM and when it first opened. And uh, at about the point where I reached high school, uh, we didn't go anymore. And I kind of forgot about Disney for quite a while. And then uh, I remember I was, it was a summer in college, and we took a, a trip down there, just the whole family, because, well, we hadn't done it in so long. And it kind of got me, re you know, really interested again. A lot had changed. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of what I liked had kind of gone away, but new things were there. But at the same time, these were all trips still with people. And then uh, I went down with uh, my girlfriend after we graduated, and she had never been there. And uh, again, that was trips with people. Now, was she sighted? She had much better vision than I did. So she, you know, she, she could see a majority of what was going down anyway. But after, uh, you know, af after that, uh, at one point, you know, we just sort of broke up in the summer of 2007 and I had been going and I had gotten really into the Disney podcasts and I had really gotten back into it and was, I guess you could say, practically obsessed with it. And, okay, here it is, MouseFest 2007. I had been to MouseFest 2006. I'm going again. Nobody to go with. Okay, you know what? I'm going to go. <laughs> And there was something even cooler going on. But part of it was me just going to, uh, you know, 
experience what it was to go to the parks just me. And I can remember that first time I ever walked into Epcot and, and I've got this audio still. I've got this binaural audio and all I could do is just be like, wow, <laughs> yeah, I'm here and it's just me and I've got the next 10 days for just me. <laughs> so you can actually get around the parks just by using your ears and, and you have a little bit of sight, but very little. Yeah. Very, you can see bright, you can see dark. So, you know, if you're, you know, going to hit a wall or something, but actually, no, you wouldn't believe how often that doesn't actually pan out quite right. Oh, really? But, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's things like, uh, I remember one time I was walking across the, uh, uh, the East breezeway in, uh, Epcot, and I didn't realize that there was a hanging sign, and it literally took my glasses out with it. Oh, that's not yeah. good. So trust me, that that doesn't work. Uh, yeah. But trust me, I never forgot where that sign was. Yeah, I, I, I bet. Yeah. So here's the deal, though. Yeah. There are some tools that help, and the first was my Braille compass. Uh, the Braille compass has since uh, fallen away to the much more accurate and ever more updated voice compass, but. What's really great is I already had sort of this, this concept of where things were in the parks. From there, uh, especially not being with people, I had to regrow lots of those concepts. Mon many of my concepts were based on holding onto somebody's arm. I knew where things were relative to each other, but not the exact paths. So the interesting thing was that first day ever in Epcot was what I would have to call a fun disaster <laughs> okay because i did find a lot of the attractions i was looking to find but uh, i can tell you that it took all day to find them i bet as the trip went on though i got very comfortable with it and it's just sort of been that way ever since i mean epcot's just an example but then there were some other things and one of those would be that disney is trying to do something new and one of those new things was described attractions. And so I had been on many attractions before, and the first attraction I ever got to try with description was Journey into Imagination with Figment. But let's take a step back. Now, when you say a described attraction, are you talking about, uh, you know, like Braille you're reading as you're going through the attraction, or what is a described attraction? No, Disney's had that for years, a little Braille book that kind of tells you about what you're about to experience, but that's about as far as the Braille book ever went. What they've done now is something much more. Essentially, you go ahead and you get a device from the guest services. Uh, the device has a pair of headphones, and it's about the size of a PDA. You bring this PDA with you. Uh, it's preferred that you actually wear it around your neck like a lanyard. And as you walk into an attraction that has Disney's descriptive audio service, it will vibrate and start to describe the environment to you, and it will also describe the attraction. So, for example, there was just this epiphany when I walked into the lobby of the Imagination Institute, and this thing vibrated and started describing all those little scenes in the queue on the way into Journey into Imagination with Figment, and I just was, I stopped dead in my tracks, but the worst part was I picked the worst place to do it. 
right after the people counter. And all these people behind me are like, do you know where you're going? I'm like, just, just hold on, my mind's being blown right now. In the spacious lobby of the Imagination Institute, three portraits hang side by side on one wall, showing recipients of the Inventor of the Year Award. A plaque beneath the first portrait we pass reads Professor Wayne Zielinski and the Shrinking Gun. The red-haired professor wears a white lab coat and a playful smirk. A plaque beneath the next portrait reads Professor Philip Brainerd and Flubber. Wearing thick-rimmed glasses and a bow tie, the professor pours green goo from a chemistry flask into a glass beaker, spilling some. A plaque beneath the last portrait reads Dr. Nigel Channing and Figment. Dr. Channing, a lean man with wavy brown hair, is the director of the Imagination Institute and our host for today's visit. Figment, an animated purple dragon the size of a chicken, hovers over Dr. Channing's shoulder. Figment has tiny wings and horns. So if you can imagine, it's my first time walking through and I hear that, I'm just in shock. But it gets better as you get into the attraction that is moving and you're hearing what's going on, what Figment is doing uh, and the mischief he's causing uh, throughout the attraction. It's just awesome. <laughs> if you've never seen it before, you've, you know, I've heard it before, but, but to actually know what's going on. I had no idea that, that Figment is actually holding a phone when he says hello. I thought he was just being obnoxious. Our first stop is the sound lab. We'll begin by testing your hearing with a series of tones. We hear sounds in darkness. Left ear, right ear. Left, right. What? This is odd. Figment holds a telephone. Who is this? It's Figment! Figment? I thought I told you not to interfere. But you've got it wrong, Doc. It's not about listening with your ears. It's about listening with your imagination. Now I've completely lost my train of thought. No, you haven't. It's over here! All aboard! Next stop, imagination. For every sound, your ears are hearing. We enter the sight lab for an eye exam. Continuing now, if I may, in a calm, scientific, figment-free manner, the things we see with our eyes can control the eyes of the imagination. Uh, Let's begin by using the eye chart to test your vision. Now, all together, if you would please read line three. Figment rearranges letters on the chart. Letters spell figment. Sure, you can see with your eyes, but imagine what you could see if you used your imagination. Follow the bouncing figment. Song lyrics appear on the chart. One spark of light can light your fancy. Your mind sees more than what your eyes see. Your sense of sight can make your fancy fly. There's more to sight. So this this actually, as as we've heard uh, with the audio that's played so far, they're literally describing to you all of the little sight gags, absolutely, that are playing as we go through, that are completely lost on me without it, and that's that's what's so impressive about this. It's you know it's it's the idea that uh, with a few little cues, 
uh, it, it fills in the gaps. Dr. Channing appears on a computer screen. So, as you can plainly see, imagination works the best when it's set free. You said it, Doc! Imagination is a blast! The screen explodes, Figment floats in a hot air balloon, rides a magic carpet, and flies an airplane. One of the things that I always tell people about these described things, uh, this isn't the only thing in, in life that is described for me. There are others. Uh, one of the most important being uh, free, uh, theatrical presentations of movies. Okay. If you go to a theater, uh, specifically in my area, it's an AMC River East 21, about three blocks from where I live here in Chicago. I could go right now and see The Princess and the Frog described. I haven't seen it yet. I plan to. And I plan to because it's described. I've sort of made the choice to go see movies that are described unless it's a movie that wouldn't need it. But any form of action movie, I'm kind of set for that. Or uh, animated, Pixar, anything that has a lot of sight gags or uh, any type of action that I need to follow, I am going to wait until it's available with description because I've realized how much more the experience can be if I have it. And as you sit through these things, the voice becomes very transparent. It almost becomes uh, subconscious in that you hear the description, but it's, you're, you're paying more attention to the audio in the house. Or in other words, if you're, if you're on Journey into Imagination, you hear the description, but you're much more paying attention to the, the uh, sound effects around you and much less to what's actually being uh, talked into your ears. So I still pay attention to all those little audio cues that are going on around me, but I'm also hearing this description and kind of mixing it all down into a full experience. It's fantastic. Yeah, that is kind of one of the things that I was doing as we were listening to that. I was thinking, God, this is a little bit annoying for me. It takes a little getting used to. <laughs> it, it, it does, because it's it's kind of, you know, it, it gets in the way of some of, of the dialogue sometimes. Well, that's the thing. It It's... It's going to get in the way of the dialogue on occasion. One of the things, just kind of getting into the, into the technical aspect of this, uh, so everybody knows how this works just a little bit. Essentially, as you go through a ride, there are little emitters. They're infrared-based. And as you enter a room or a particular section of a moving ride, or if it's a show, uh, the film starts or the show starts, an infrared signal triggers the device to play a specific file and it will play it in sync with the ride now it's not going to be perfect every time so you may have a situation where it was meant to not talk over the ghost host but it's talking over the ghost host anyway it's not a perfect science yet it's brand new and so they're still working through uh, the experience one of the things that they've found is things like depending on what row you sit in in a vehicle like journey into imagination with figment the example we've been using uh, you might get your description with slightly different timing. Mm. So, yeah, it just depends on where you're sitting. And there is a sweet spot. Unfortunately, they're not really documented. And even for me, I haven't quite figured out where they're at yet. 
Okay, now you just mentioned uh, something here because we were talking about the de- the description and we were talking about Epcot, but you mentioned uh, talking over the ghost host. So this oh, yeah. is not something that is just specific to Epcot Center. Oh, no. No, no, no. If you go to the Magic Kingdom, you can actually check out some really cool attractions. I'll actually tell you guys what's available. And here's the worst part. I might even forget some because there's a lot. You can walk into the Magic Kingdom walk up Main Street USA, go straight into Fantasyland, and start enjoying things like Mickey's Magic. It's a Small World, Winnie the Pooh. It's really great. I mean, you get in there, you, you, you check out uh, some of the other things like... Uh, Do they have Peter Pan? Oh, yeah. They got Peter Pan. They've got, in Toontown, uh, Mickey's and Minnie's uh, Country Houses. You can go over to... Uh, the Haunted Mansion. We peer over a banister into the Grand Ballroom. A coffin spills out of an old-fashioned hearse, and spirits arrive at the party. Some ghostly guests dine at a long, elegant banquet table. A woman blows out candles on a birthday cake, and the guests disappear. On the wooden dance floor nearby, ghosts twirl in pairs. Their transparent images flit about the stylish room. Heads float out of a pipe organ as the music plays. Next, our doom buggies tour an attic cluttered with gifts and mementos from four weddings. Ornate frames surround portraits of the same bride with each successive groom. In each, the groom's head disappears. We pass a banner that reads, True Love Forever, 1872, Frank and Constance. A framed wedding certificate is tossed aside behind a collection of teapots. Cobwebs drape a hat stand. Unopened wedding gifts sit beside a crystal punch bowl. And a pedestal holds a four-layer white frosted wedding cake. A haunting, iridescent bride wears a gauzy white veil. An axe appears in her hands. It disappears. The doom buggies slip out an attic window. Wispy souls ascend from a graveyard below. We face backwards and travel through the gnarled branches of an old oak tree down toward the maze of earthly plots. Near an iron gate, a scrawny dog stands beside a caretaker holding a shovel and a lantern. Facing forward again, we coast through the open gate and into the cemetery. A raven pecks at a tree branch. Inside the dark yard, glimmering spirits celebrate among rocking gravestones and bulging crypts. Creepy ghosts pop up along our route. Medieval minstrels play music. On the left, a lid on a tomb slides back and forth. Beyond it, a Victorian lord and lady bob up and down on a teeter-totter, and five marble busts break into song. Two ghosts in formal wear float up as they drink champagne at a glowing table. A hand reaches out of a coffin, holding up a teacup. On the right, a ghost with sad eyes pops out from behind a grave marker. A crypt emits a mesmerizing purple light. A reclusive grim reaper-like creature peeks out. His sleeve opens into a Mickey Mouse shape. Uh, After you've gotten through Haunted Mansion, why not check out the Jungle Cruise? I understand that it's not fully described, but there's actually a pre-show description that describes what you're about to go through, so you kind of know the scenes on the way through it. There's no way they can get the live experience entirely captured with proper description, but they can describe it in advance so you know what you're about to go through. It's like a four or five minute description of the entire attraction in detail before you go on it. I guess it could be a spoiler, but uh, it's not, not in the way that they present it. The other thing, too, is uh, you can go on Pirates. Uh, it's Oh, the train is described. It's crazy. The train? The train has description, too, in some parts. It's, it's pretty neat. They've got 
description in a lot of different areas. I haven't even experienced all of the descriptive audio that is actually out there for the parks just because I'm like any other park guest. There might be things that simply just don't interest me. <laughs> Most of it does, but you know, there are a few things that just might not. I did go through uh, Mickey and Minnie's country houses, which that description was pretty intense, but the best uh, that I've heard so far, just the thing that completely blew my mind was Mickey's Philharmagic. A pointy spire topped with a crown distinguishes the entrance to the Fantasyland Concert Hall. A statue of Mickey dressed in a tuxedo, holding a conductor's baton, is just above a marquee advertising Mickey's Philharmagic, a 3D animated film starring Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, and other characters from Disney films. Special effects and animatronic figures create a multi-sensory experience. We enter the attraction and pass through a hall showcasing a fanciful mural titled Music on Parade and posters of great moments in the concert hall's history such as Donald Duck in Festival de las Mariachis, the Wolfgang Trio featuring the Three Little Pigs, Ariel's Choral Group, and Jeannie Sings the Blues. We reach a theater lobby with gold columns, twinkling chandeliers, and a carpet printed with a musical instrument pattern. Before the concert hall doors open, we receive a pair of 3D opera glasses. Once inside the theater, we take our seats. The theater holds nearly 500 people. A golden frame carved with images of orchestra instruments forms a fancy border around the closed red curtain that hides the stage. The dynamic concert plays out on a 150-foot wide wraparound screen. As we wait for the show to begin, we hear the voices of Goofy and Minnie coming from somewhere backstage. <laughs> Curtain rises and we see a cartoon concert hall. Donald, wake up! It's showtime! Mickey wakes up Donald Duck. Don't forget the orchestra! And don't talk to my Mickey runs off. Donald quickly tosses musical instruments out of the trunk and they land in their places on an orchestra stage. The last instrument he throws is a grand piano. Donald picks up the conductor's baton, then spots Mickey's glowing sorcerer's hat. He peeks off stage, then puts it on. The instruments get ready as he taps the music stand. He waves the baton. The instruments all play at once. Donald taps the stand. A flute floats around, still playing. Donald tries to whack it with the baton. He grabs the flute and throws it at us, but it comes back like a boomerang and bumps his head. Donald tries to stomp on the flute. The other instruments gather threateningly just above Donald. Uh -uh. 
They fall on him, stirring up a cloud of smoke as they tumble around. Donald tries to jump out, but the trombone yanks him back. The hat falls off. He tries again, and the cymbals clap against his ears. The cloud of smoke becomes a spiraling tornado, pulling the instruments in. Donald tries to escape, reaching out his hands toward us, but he slips backward. The tornado sucks him up along with the sorcerer's hat. The screen goes black. We see Donald's eyes blinking in the darkness. I had no idea what was actually happening in that, other than okay, now we're checking out. Uh, you know, here, here's uh, Mickey conducting some orchestra. Here's Donald; he's messing with him in some way. Uh, I didn't even realize that he had actually stolen Mickey's hat, which I didn't realize the hat was the focus with uh, Donald following the hat. I didn't realize that uh, he was actually interacting with the characters in these different scenes. Yeah, you, you, if you listen to the audio only, which I have many times, you just hear the music and, and it's got the different themes and things like it's, it, you know, I just can't wait to be king and stuff like that. But you have no idea that there's anything going on on screen because the there's very little foley that actually goes with the music. Yeah, I mean, there's some 40 effects. So, you know, you kind of have an idea that something's going on. But I had no idea uh, why in the world we get sprayed with water. I had, you know, I had no idea why we are getting blasted with air. Yeah, I tell you, you don't have to be visually impaired to wonder why we're getting sprayed with water. I've wondered why Disney has this urge to spray people with water all of a sudden myself. <laughs> well, I mean, we, at least we know based on the description that it's actually due to the fact that the, uh, the brooms are sloshing uh, Donald with water. <laughs> true, true, true. So, you know, that's, that's the great part. I had no idea why I was getting splashed before, but now I know. It's, it's fantastic. Now let's listen to a little bit of Philhar magic here. A door opens and light shines on Donald. He sits in a pile of trash near the hat. Brooms march in in a line. Donald sees the hat. Just as he reaches for it, the brooms splash buckets of water in his face. The hat washes away. Donald yanks a little broom's bucket out of its hands. As he prepares to douse the little broom, a huge broom stomps in behind him. Donald gives the little one back its bucket, but the big broom splashes him anyway. The water sprays out onto us. The rushing water becomes an ocean where Flounder the fish swims around. He floats up to us and smiles. Behind him, the sorcerer's hat sinks downward. Ariel the little mermaid catches it. Donald swims in wearing a snorkel. He grabs for the hat, then notices Ariel. Ariel's treasures float toward us. She reaches out her hands. I want to be where the people are. She twirls Donald around. I want to see him dancing, walking around on those, what do you call them? Donald kicks his webbed feet. Feet. When's it my turn? Wouldn't I love, love to explore that shore of the 
Donald follows Ariel. Donald tries to kiss Ariel, but smooches an electric eel instead. Lightning-like shocks buzz Donald and flicker everywhere. As Donald swims after the mermaid, the eel swims after him. Now the ocean turns into a blazing sun. Simba bursts through and he sings to us. I'm gonna beat the main event like no king was before. I'm brushing up, I'm looking down, I'm working on my roar. <laughs> That's far rather an inspiring thing. A giraffe wears Mickey's hat. Donald can't reach it. Everybody look left. Everybody look right. Everywhere you look, I'm sitting in the spotlight. Not yet. Donald rides on an antelope. Donald, the animals, and the hat make patterns and spin around like a kaleidoscope. The collage of animals falls, stirring up a cloud of dust. The dust turns into pixie dust in a night sky. Tinkerbell flies to us, then motions for us to follow her. She leads us to a London clock tower. So do they have descriptive audio for, say, Stitch's Great Escape? No. No. Uh, Is no. that because fact, nobody wants to see it? No, actually, I saw it. I finally got to sit there and check it out with binaural functioning. Most of the time I go into that attraction, <laughs> I, I hear... Stitch in one ear and dead in the other. When I should have hear him, or heard him warning us about the chili dog, I get nothing but the nasty smell. Mm-hmm. Are attractions like uh, Space Mountain? No. Uh, in fact, anything that is high speed is uh-huh. not described. Okay, so like over Disney Hollywood Studio, they don't have a guy screaming at you as you're going on the rock and roller coaster. There goes a donut! And no. Oh, no. No? No, trust me. The sensation alone is more than enough. I mean, just the fact that they have it so well timed out with the music. I could hear that 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 descriptive narration, though. You'd you know, be like, as you turn around the corner, you see ahead of you a street sign. And it's saying, all lanes closed, heavy traffic. And then all of a sudden, we're going a thousand miles an hour, and we're going around and doing loops. It's amazing. You know, I could just, yeah. I could just hear that, you know. Right, as as the device around my neck is pummeling the person sitting next to me. Right, yes. And that's probably why they don't actually have those described. You get off that ride with the three teeth and two black eyes. <laughs> right, and 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 uh, your headphones are long gone. <laughs> right, yeah, they're back hanging off the donut. Yeah, exactly. Very good. So it's just it's it's one of those things where yeah they they don't describe the extremely high speed attractions though in many cases they do have. Uh, pre-show descriptions for those attractions uh, so that you can kind of know what you're about to experience. Also, the Braille guidebook uh, does describe what the experience will be like, so not necessarily that there's no surprises. It's more about, here's what this attraction's all about, and here's what you're going to be missing because of the fact that, well, we can't describe this because the device could simply go flying and kill somebody, so we would... Okay. So let me th- let me throw a couple of these at you here. Um... 
and you just say yes or no. Big Thunder? No. No. Right? Okay. Um, Splash Mountain? Mm, well, they would prefer you put the thing away. Even though it is water resistant, it's not waterproof. Okay. The mics go away when I go on that ride. In fact, I didn't go on it this last trip because I really didn't remember to bring a poncho. Gotcha. <laughs> Carousel of Progress. Yes. Actually, that one is described. Um, and it is in sync with the, uh, you know, it, it is in sync with the show. The one thing on this one is you have to sit on the left half of the theater. If you sit on the right half of the theater, you're not going to actually get the trigger from the emitters. Don't think it really matters for you though, right? No, not well, I'm a center guy. I like to be in the dead center. I like it so that when I listen back to my recordings of the parks, everything was kind of centered because when you listen later and you can hear you're sort of sitting off to the side, it's just not appealing. Yeah, that's something I do for Window to the Magic all the time. Everything, I go stand in, dead in the center of everything for exactly that reason, yes. Yeah. People have wondered why I've, on occasion, ran into that attraction before and actually ran to the far side, started counting to my left, and then counted halfway back to the center. And only when it's completely dead. And they're just like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm looking for the exact center seat. Mm -hmm. It happens to be this spot where a wheelchair could park so I'm going to sit just slightly off to the one side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, but the 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 perfect center also in the uh, Hall of Presidents happens to be uh, a dead spot. There's there's no chair there. I was gonna that was gonna be my next question. That do they have descriptive for the new Hall of Presidents? There's a pre-show description, but right now there is no uh, actual description for the show. The show is very heavy in dialogue. Uh, there are some movie portions, though I have no idea what's happening during them, uh, but Morgan Freeman more than makes up for the awesome descriptive part. So, <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, it's, it's actually really good, and Barack Obama bot is thoroughly impressive with the quality of the audio coming out of him. That's right, Robama. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, uh, um, so, okay, so we've touched on a few attractions here, um, like Mission Space. Is there something for that? Well, no. Un- Mission Space is one of those attractions that I don't know what they would do. It's actually a technical issue where since you're enclosed, they can't just have one emitter for the entire ride. They would have to put an emitter in every single one of those modules. And because of the uh, Titan sight lines in there, uh, there's no one place they could put the emitter where you would be guaranteed to hit it. So for right now, until they can figure out what they are going to do about that, they won't have a description for it. Though, again, the actual thrill of the attraction more than makes up for it. Test track? Uh, again, I, I think that uh, the pre-show description for it uh, would be great. They don't have it, but okay. I could even see this as being one of those ones where you could describe it all the way up to the point where you hit the track and then goodbye device. True. <laughs> True. Good point. Um, let's see. Um, El Rio del Tiempo yep. or whatever that became. Yeah, boat rides are interesting. Uh, they are described. Uh, the one thing that's kind of uh, interesting to note is that the the description doesn't know when any of the other audio in the attraction is going to necessarily be triggered, so uh, it will talk over things. And so it's a good idea to actually go on those types of attractions, like Pirates or like uh, 
the three caballeros, you want to kind of go on them twice. Once to hear the experience described, and then once just to, to keep that in mind while you're going through again, just to hear the, the intricate details of all the little samples going on around you. Okay. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where for even me, I, I've been going forever. I generally will ride those things twice in a trip just because I want to hear it described once. But if I can, I, I follow it up by getting right back in line and going on again so I can hear it without the description because, yeah, there's, there's a lot that's being interrupted. Uh, but, but it gives you a great sense of what's actually happening. And how about movies like uh, China and Canada? Okay, World Showcase, all the movies are described except for the one that's over in... Uh, well, actually, no, all the movies are described. The uh, Norway movie is not, but it's a very short movie, so I, I could see why they didn't do it. But All they would say is just, them woodchucks sure are fluffy, boy, and then that'd be the end of that. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I, I went and sat through that because I hadn't sat through it in years, and now I remember why I don't sit through that. Yeah. Because there's nothing for me in that one. Right. Uh, well, there's nothing for anyone in that one, actually. That I have no idea what that movie is about. Yeah. I've sat through it a number of times. I'm like, why do I keep sitting through this? Um, Probably because the door is closed before you can get out. That could be it. Yeah. Um. Okay, and, and here's here's a big one. I assume they don't do fireworks. You know, I think describing fireworks wouldn't really work out that well, but one of the things that would be kind of neat to know is what's actually going on with the Earth globe. Yeah, the, on the, yeah, the big uh, globe out in the middle for illuminations. That would be fantastic. Uh, also, Phantasmic would be really cool, too. D- they don't have a narration for Phantasmic? narration right now for Fantasmic. Okay. And then another big one at Epcot, uh, The American Adventure. They got something for that? Oh, yeah. Yeah? That one, that one is just awesome. Can we play a little bit of that? Do you, do you have that? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> we gotta hear it. Let's play a little bit of that. The thing is that the, we're gonna definitely listen to the most impressive part. It's the part that uh, usually kind of gets everybody going. And it's, it's the film. The film at the end? Film, yeah. Okay, we'll play that. We see an image of a bald eagle flying through the sky. The eagle slowly dissolves into footage of soldiers raising the American flag at Iwo Jima. Now a montage of famous Americans. Dwight Eisenhower waves, Marilyn Monroe smiles. We glimpse Johnny Carson, Lucille Ball, Walt Disney, Albert Einstein, and Frank Sinatra. Armstrong plays a trumpet, Elvis Presley sings, John F. Kennedy makes a speech. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not 
you can do for your country. My fellow citizens of the world, ask not what America will do for you, but what together we can do. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. speaks at a podium. Now the Apollo 11's lunar module descends toward the moon. An astronaut steps down a ladder to the surface. A newspaper headline reads, Men Walk on Moon. The astronaut holds up an American flag. From the moon we see the Earth, a cloudy blue ball in space. A bald eagle soars through the sky. We glimpse Bob Dylan and a flag bearing a peace symbol. Cesar Chavez stands by a poster that reads, Boycott Grapes. Soldiers carry their wounded on stretchers, and a man weeps at the Vietnam War Memorial Wall. Gloria Steinem speaks. George Lucas directs on the set of Star Wars. A rocket blasts off. A space shuttle crew smiles, and a section of the Berlin Wall crashes down. Willie Nelson sings. Runners sprint below a banner reading, Race for the Cure. The sign reads, Stop AIDS. In the wreckage of the destroyed World Trade Center, smoke drifts past skeletal fragments of wrecked buildings and piles of rubble. Firemen raise an American flag. Soldiers stand at attention. A man holds a sign reading, You are our heroes. Figure skater Michelle Kwan glides across the ice. Former Presidents Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush meet with children. Muhammad Ali holds the Olympic torch. Lance Armstrong races a bicycle. The U.S. women's softball team carries their coach on their shoulders. Children wearing Uncle Sam hats hold glowing sparklers. The soaring bald eagle flies higher and fireworks explode above the Statue of Liberty. Now, I know that that scene for me is is very emotional. It really kicks you up and, and, and everything. And I'll, I'll make you a bet that you didn't know that the curtains were opening and revealing the statues on the sides. Not until I, you know, had had really watched this with description did I realize what was actually happening mm-hmm. uh, in the film at all. Uh, I, I kind of followed the story. It's It's well narrated, of course. Definitely improves the experience for you. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's actually really cool because even though I always loved that attraction as it was, having the description was even more amazing. Just because there was a lot that was missed, especially the film. I mean, I had some audio clues. You know, you you hear the the moon landing, you hear you you hear a lot of the clips, but uh, you're much more drawn to the music at that point. The description sort of kind of gives a balance to that. My question now would be, um, there's one park that I'm kind of wondering whether there would be any narration at all, and that would be Animal Kingdom. Mm. Animal Kingdom is an interesting one. You have one attraction that's described as an actual full-blown attraction. You've got, uh, what is it, uh, it's tough to be a bug. I was thought you were going to say Expedition Everest. 
No, no, no. Um, <laughs> yeah, Yeti comes. He's trying to get you. Yikes, we're going backwards. Okay, this is the part where you throw up. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you're now stuck waiting. Okay, he's tearing the tracks apart. Everybody's freaking out. Here comes the drop. Okay, zigzag left and right. Yeti's broken again. Here's the broken Yeti. It's over. Yeah, okay. So I get your point. What <laughs> so yeah. it's it's tough to be a bug is the only uh, is the only one that's described at Animal Kingdom. There's something else that's kind of unique to Animal Kingdom. There's the uh, the safari. Uh, but that's the safari is described, but also the trails. The trails are impressive. Uh, the trails are the most impressive, hands down. Uh, the reason why the trails are impressive is because you're kind of going at your own pace through it. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're walking through uh, the trails, uh, they're, they're kind of describing to you the enclosures. Unfortunately, the one thing that they cannot do is describe the dynamics of what's going on inside uh, the enclosures themselves with the animals. They can describe the animals that should be within the enclosure, uh, I kind of fear the day that they switch stuff up and it's describing a leopard when it's really a lion. The lions are sleeping. Yeah, it, it's not quite there. We're we're hearing things like what a lion looks like. Well, see, I mean, I, I guess technically they could tell you what they're doing because you wouldn't know the difference. True. Like, they could say the lions are walking around the cage and, you know growling and and whatever and playing with each other and and you know i mean would something like that if they gave a general description of things that lions do would that be um not necessarily offensive but would that be something that you wouldn't like wouldn't be a bad thing um it it does describe uh a lot of the the placards that are around that normally would be read by somebody so since those tend to describe behaviors uh, you do kind of hear a little bit about it. We come to the first habitat on our left, which lies just off the trail beyond a waist-high bamboo fence. Along the path, there are two large viewing spots that let us peek into the forest. A wooden sign shows an illustration of a Komodo dragon. In the habitat, we may find one of these large monitor lizards sunning itself on a rock near a pool of water. Plants with ruffled leaves drape over the rugged, rust-colored cliffs bordering the area. A small stream cascades down into the pool. The Komodo dragon can grow up to 10 feet long and can weigh up to 250 pounds. It has leathery brown skin, sharp claws, and a powerful tail the same length as its body. We might spot the reptile's yellow, foot-long tongue flicking between its jagged teeth. Sometimes, the lizard can be seen crawling through the grass on its short, muscular legs. Uh, the one thing that's kind of interesting is how lost you can actually get on those trails. I understand that you would only want to go one way through them and that there should only be one way. But in some areas, the, the trail becomes so wide uh, or, or because you're actually dumped into a clearing that you can seriously go around, think you're going the correct way, and then all of a sudden encounter a few other guests and go, ooh, I'm going the wrong way. Let's try this again. So <laughs> I had that happen a few times. The nice part is the description will only go in the one direction. It will not repeat itself uh, if you walk back to the other location. Oh, see, now I would think that that would be a good thing if it repeated itself because you would go, wait a second, I've already heard this. Well, actually, that's that's the, the thing. 
the way that it's set up is it, it it's one trigger, then it looks for the next trigger, then it looks for the next trigger. Um, it's kind of one of those things where, for example, if if I walk into Peter Pan, and for some reason I catch the emitter that's that that's on the way into, or I'm sorry, I guess technically it's on the way out of the window. Uh, if I manage to catch that without catching the queue line description, I'm not going to be able to walk back out by chance and catch it until after I've gone through the attraction. These things can be programmed apparently in one particular order so that you have to follow it so it doesn't uh, get confused. It's probably based on the idea that on a boat ride, um, what happens if you pick up two different emitters at the same time while switching rooms? It should go with the one that it's picking up ahead of it, uh, ahead of the one that already triggered. Sure. So it, the same can happen with these outdoor trails. You you would want the the next thing to be triggered because what if it's picking up some form of reflection? They are infrared light. What if it's picking up reflection from a previous, uh, you know, emitter? In some cases, those trails do kind of uh, double back on each other, and you end up on the other side, go, heading in the other direction, and you know, on the other side of a fence, people are going the other way. So, yeah, th- there could be issues. So it has to go in one particular direction. Hmm. The, one, uh, the, the one thing that I know I would like to have described is, well, I mean, Dinosaur is one of those ones where, yeah, it's too fast. They can't describe it, though I, I would like to see a description for that one just because uh, I'm not sure what's going on. The good part is that the ride vehicle tells us what dinosaur is now screeching at us, which works pretty well for me. But yeah, I was going to say pretty much the narration would just go duck, ah, duck, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, have you ever noticed how uh, the the ride feels very much like I'm taking the same turns as uh, Indiana Jones? No, never noticed that. Oh, mm. Yeah, no, no, no. It's it, in, in fact. Uh, I think the next time I'm out of Disneyland, I'm going to bring with my binaural recording of uh, uh, the, the the dinosaur thing and see if it actually like times out the same. See if it works. <laughs> so I know there's there's one attraction that I forgot to ask about while we were over hanging out in the Magic Kingdom earlier today. Oh yeah. Um, the Tomorrowland Transit Authority. Okay. We got narration on that one. They do, or they did. Uh, however you want to look at it. Uh, I went on it. Basically, back in January, I uh, had my first experience with the described TTA. Fantastic. The Tomorrowland Transit Authority, or TTA, offers a 10-minute tour of Tomorrowland aboard a Metroliner, a vehicle resembling a space-age commuter train. The ride begins and ends at Rocket Tower Plaza, beneath the Astro Orbiter, the tallest of Tomorrowland's attractions. We enter the TTA by riding up a moving walkway. Then, to board the Metroliner, we will first step onto a circular platform that revolves at the same speed that the Metroliners travel. This allows the vehicles to load and unload passengers without stopping. Electromagnetic force propels the Metroliners along an elevated track at 10 feet per second. Accommodating about 20 guests, each Metroliner consists of five connected units, like railroad cars. In each unit, the doors slide open and guests sit in pairs, facing one another. The attraction description that you will hear during the ride is written from a forward-facing point of view. For your safety, remain seated throughout your journey. 
keeping your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside. Our train glides slowly past the moving platform, then gathers speed as the track makes a sharp curve out of the Transit Authority station. We travel 25 feet above the ground, giving us a bird's eye view of the futuristic scenery around us. Facing forward, we catch a glimpse of the Carousel of Progress building on our right. On our left, at the base of the Astro Orbiter's blue elevator tower, tables and chairs fill a plaza outside the lunching pad snack counter. On our right, we pass a red rocket ship that sprays people with a cooling mist. Another part of the Transit Authority track runs past the Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin and Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor attractions. Our train makes a sharp right turn, giving us a view of Cinderella's castle in the distance. We curve around a silvery steel exterior wall of the convention center, then slow down as we ride into a dark tunnel. On our left, a window gives us a view of a diorama, a tiny version of a city. Miniature houses and roads surround a downtown filled with sleek skyscrapers and illuminated domes. The Tomorrowland Metro Retro Historical Society presents Walt Disney's 20th century vision for the future. This model city dared to dream the perfect community in which to work, live, and play. On our right, human-sized robots work in a shipping room decorated with neon lights. One rides a rocket ship through a tube labeled Red Line. Moving on, we look down into a store filled with space-related gifts. We emerge from the tunnel into the outdoors. On either side of us, the Tomorrowland Indy Speedway winds through a grassy park filled with lush green trees. Park guests can be spotted driving small gas-powered race cars around the track. We cross over the Walt Disney World Railroad line. As we approach a white stadium-sized building shaped like an extraterrestrial mountain, other metro liners whisk by us in the opposite direction. We pass a sign written in bold capital letters, Space Mountain, a journey through time and space. We cruise into a tunnel and darkness surrounds us. Now arriving at Space Mountain, Tomorrowland's gateway to the galaxy. In a scene above us, two astronauts hang upside down as they make repairs to a section of their ship. 
To our left, a steel roller coaster track rises steeply beside a high-tech glass room labeled Launch Control Area. At times, rocket ship roller coaster cars can be seen making their slow ascent up the mountain. We glide into another tunnel. On either side of us, signs read Space Mountain in glowing yellow letters. As we move on, a rugged mountain peak comes into view below us. The walls around it glow an eerie golden yellow. Stars shoot by overhead. On our right, a window gives us a glimpse two stories down at the Space Mountain load and unload area. In the dimly lit space, park guests step into the narrow Space Mountain rocket ships and begin their roller coaster ride. As we coast back outdoors, hugging the rounded edge of the Space Mountain building, we pass the Tomorrowland Power Station, a long warehouse-sized pink and silver arcade with huge porthole-like windows. As our track curves sharply to the left, we pass just a few feet from more TTA trains on their way into Space Mountain. As you can see, Space Mountain makes ordinary space travel an adventure. Another fine transportation service provided by the Tomorrowland Transit Authority. Attention, all visitors from Galaxy M31. Please keep forward-facing tentacles clear of oncoming Metro Minor vehicles. Thank you. We pass the arch-shaped side of the power station building, then cross back over the Indy racetrack. In the distance, spaceships and planets fly around the Astro Orbiter. As we turn to the left again, Space Mountain comes back into view, its spire-topped dome standing tall above the surrounding palm trees. We glide closer to the Astro Orbiter, a towering model of a solar system with planets as big as cars. Among the orbiting planets, park guests ride around in circles in little rocket ships high above the ground below. The centerpiece of Rocket Tower Plaza is the League of Planets Astro Orbiter, this symbol of universal harmony and interplanetary fellowship provides all beings with an exhilarating spin around the planets. Up ahead lies the Carousel of Progress, a low circular building painted with images of turning gears. Remember, Blue Line passengers, for all your future travel needs, the TTA services all of Tomorrowland's outlying areas, including the personal rocket ship docking lot, and of course, Perfect Park Acres, the latest in Hoverbird community. Paging Mr. Morrow, Mr. Tom Morrow. Your party from Saturn has arrived. Please give them a ring. We cruise now along the edge of the building. We pass over the carousel's ground-level entrance, marked with a sculpture made from colorful interlocking gears, then turn into a dark tunnel. On our right, we peek through a window into a diorama of a hair salon. A woman sits in a beauty chair, her head concealed by a giant blinking helmet. Beside her, a monitor shows an image of seven robotic arms, each styling a section of a woman's hair. Showing Buzz Lightyear on a daring space mission to save the universe from the evil Emperor Zerg. Report to Star Command and Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger Spin! 
Below us in a scene from the interactive Space Ranger spin, colorful cutouts of bizarre creatures glow under black lights. A landscape behind them shows oozing volcanoes and an orange sky. We emerge outdoors, getting another glimpse of Fantasyland off to our left. We turn sharply to the right. Across the way is the attraction Stitch's Great Escape. A sign above the entrance shows a colorful picture of Stitch, a rodent-like alien with sharp teeth and pointy ears. Just below our track, signs advertise the Laugh Floor and Star Command Headquarters. On our left, a kiosk top features a giant metal claw grabbing three-eyed alien squeakies. We approach the TTA station. Rocket Tower Plaza at the heart of Tomorrowland. Come now, rejoin us, and believe in the promise of tomorrow. Now And then when I came back, uh, I had the same description in the same spots with the same timing, but the narration had changed such that the description, even though it still makes sense, it's not describing or following up on uh, what was actually being said. It's kind of more about what's around you. Uh, unfortunately, it talks all over the natural dialogue of the attraction now. So, uh, unfortunately, I think what happened here was it was a matter of, hey, um, new audio. Okay, now everybody else who supports these attractions and descriptions has to now kind of jump on it and figure out what they got to do to fix it. Okay. <laughs> they didn't let them know ahead of time that mm. it was coming, so now they've got to kind of follow. Probably. Okay. Uh, another guest uh, was telling me about the fact that, hey, um, yeah, th they had difficulty hearing, but they know that what they were hearing was not what was being shown on their handheld captioning. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it was showing the old stuff. So the um, descriptive narration, I mean, this this audio service sounds like it's a, a real plus for you when you go to visit the parks. Yeah, there's actually a lot of stuff that I had not seen described. I mean, just, just even things like, you know, Soren, where it's music with a lot of Foley, you know, so a lot of sound effects, a lot of uh, just amazing Jerry Goldsmith soundtrack. But not really knowing what I'm flying over. A semicircular desk sits outside the entrance to Soren, which resembles the ticketing area at an airport. A sign above the desk announces flights now departing. Soren over California. The entrance is divided into two passageways. Fast pass return on the left and standby on the right. A sign shows the number of minutes until departure. Inside, we travel down a long airport-like great hall. 
where metallic beams arch across the high ceiling and waves of colored light decorate the walls. In the standby area, video monitors invite guests to play interactive games. At the end of the passageway, words crawling on a display read Soren, non-stop service to California. Next, we enter the gate area. While we wait to board, a film plays on a monitor. A logo takes form over a cloudy vista. Thick blue lettering spells out Soren. Red V-shaped glider wings circle around the word, stopping above the O, while a yellow streak arches into the sky. Our view glides over nebulous clouds and brilliant light blue sky. Words appear and zoom past. Destinations like San Francisco, Redwood Creek, and Napa Valley. As our boarding time approaches, a flight attendant appears on the monitor and reviews important safety information prior to the flight. Once inside the Soren Theater, we take our seats in the ride vehicle, a flying machine composed of 87 seats arranged in nine rows. As our flight begins, we lift 40 feet off the ground, tilting and swaying as the sights of California unfold around us on a giant projection screen dome. I have very little vision. I can see like the horizon in that because it's a very uh, distinct color contrast. Um, I can kind of see that I'm I'm in a scene with a a, a pinkish sky, so it, it it's got to be a sunset. I can hear the waves. Okay, I must be at the beach. Uh, but actually seeing what's going on inside the in each scene, no, not going to happen for me. So. To have that ride described, for example, uh, it, it's amazing. It tells me probably more details than most people know. You know, things like, yes, we're flying through Yosemite National Park. But what if people don't know that? It doesn't have captions there for you to tell you where you're at. True. Soren to tower. We are ready for takeoff. Murky white clouds fill our view and then yield to the open blue sky. We dip back into the clouds, edging over some and passing through others. We burst through the clouds and soar over San Francisco Bay, skirting the Golden Gate Bridge. In the distance, we can see the buildings of the city. We soar over a thick forest and a winding river. Tall trees line the banks, blocking the sunlight. We zoom down to the river, flying just above the surface at an exhilarating speed. People kayak and raft just below us. We drift over a vineyard, then soar up over a tree line. Hot air balloons lift off from the valley and float up into the hazy, pink-tinted sky. The colorful balloons look like giant upside-down teardrops, suspended in mid-air. In the distance, we see a mountain range. We soar over the deep blue ocean. Far below us, white-capped waves crash on the rocky coast. A research boat speeds out into the churning ocean. Water surrounds us for as far as we can see. We soar up the face of a steep, snowy mountain. Near the top, people ski down, jumping off rocky cliffs and dodging tall trees. As we launch over the crest, we glimpse dense forest. We soar through Yosemite National Park. A waterfall plunges over a rock cliff 
and crashes hundreds of feet below. A hang glider drifts beneath us, careening over the deep gorges. Cracked, weathered towers of rock loom on our left. We soar over flatlands and read the words PGA West on a lush, manicured golf course. Sand traps border a wide green fairway. Palm trees dot the spacious resort. A golfer swings a club and the ball flies into the air, just missing us. Now we pass over orange groves. A worker on a ladder picks fruit. Acres sprawl out before us, the citrus trees forming perfectly straight rows. In the distance, we see rolling green and gold hills, reaching up to meet the blue sky. We soar high above rocky red terrain, following a time-worn path between the jagged mountain ridges. In our effortless glide, we overtake three riders on horseback. Appearing from our right, Air Force Thunderbirds suddenly shoot past us, leaving a trail of white exhaust. We soar over a runway on board an aircraft carrier. Dozens of jet planes are lined up in rows on the deck. A helicopter takes off, banking out over the water. In the distance, we see the tall buildings of San Diego along the coast. Now, under a pink and orange sky, waves gently break on the sand at the base of a cliff. We soar out just above the water. Below us, surfers balance on their boards, riding the waves all the way into the beach. Nighttime, we soar over Los Angeles. The headlights of hundreds of cars light up the freeways like ribbons of glittering gold. We pass over Disneyland's Main Street, USA. From our bottom left, Tinkerbell swoops into the scene. She sparkles with fairy dust as she waves her wand and then zooms off ahead, leading us to Sleeping Beauty Castle. As we approach, giant fireworks explode in the inky sky. Dazzling showers of light and blossoms of colorful sparkles fill our view. It's kind of like uh, Impressions de France. I tried that one. It tells you about all of the different uh, things going on in the movie that everybody else just has to take a guess at. What am I looking at here? You are flying over the Champs-Élysées. <laughs> right, but what if you didn't know that that's what that was? And a majority of people probably don't. I don't. Yeah, it's like a tour guide. It, it literally, for me, becomes a better tour guide than somebody who can see it. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, well, um, is there... Anything else that you want to cover about the, uh, you know, audio service? I kind of want to cover for people who might actually use this thing how to use it. Oh, great. Okay. So, so here's what you're going to do. At any of the parks, um, you're going to walk into the guest services. So the simplest thing for me to do, I know that everybody else probably knows this. For those of you who are Disneylanders alone, I guess this could be really useful to you as well. Uh, if you go to the Magic Kingdom, guest services is the city hall on your left. Uh, if you go to the Epcot, you've got to go past Spaceship Earth. You'll hear it because it's very echoey and it's just, you got to go past a fountain, uh, follow it around to its left, follow to the left. Once you are past the fountain, 
then trail a concrete wall planter thing until you actually encounter it. Uh, you may encounter some other things first, but hey, you know, if you don't succeed, try again. <laughs> uh, something else you should know about Epcot is there's these, uh, uh, I, I don't know how to call them anything other than ginormous tombstones. Uh, they will obscure your ability to hear the fountain until you're past them. Oh, yes, the leave a legacy tombstones. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Uh, so once you're past all that and you're past the fountain, that's it, it's awkward. Uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios... Again, go in to the left, you're there. Animal Kingdom, go in to the left, you're there. I- is there a pattern here? Uh, I think it's in and to the left, if I'm not mistaken. In and to the left. And let's see, uh, California Adventure, in and to the left. And at Disneyland, it's in and to the left. Hmm. Fabulous. Awesome. Well, they're consistent, at least. Yeah, it, it might be the only consistency yeah. in the parks is where... Where do you find guest services? At least uh, you know where to start, and then you can go from there. There are a million cast members. If you ask them, hey, where's guest services? They're just going to be like, hey, here you go. They'll bring you right there. Now, when you get inside, here's the part that's going to be interesting. You need to ask for Disney's descriptive audio service. You need to explain that you are visually impaired or blind uh, and that you do not need assisted listening. One of the common things I've noticed is that they will set it up with assisted listening. Assisted listening is actually the enhancement of attraction audio so that you may simply blast yourself out with it if you have difficulty hearing. You can also use it as a method of injecting it straight into your hearing aids, uh, especially if you've got cochlear implants, so that you can actually directly hear what's going on in the attraction. Okay, so you need to let them know I'm blind, not deaf. That's correct. Okay. The other thing, too, would be Each guest relations uh, center has a test emitter. They can trigger it, and if you don't hear, you are receiving Disney's audio descriptive service. Actually, let's go ahead and play a clip from that. Okay. You are receiving Disney's audio description service. This service provides descriptions of visual elements for guests who are blind or with low vision. So if you're not hearing that clip you need to ask them to reset the device and try again. If you want, just simply say, hey, I'd like to test this before I leave. Could you please trigger your emitter? They'll probably be like, what are you talking about? Just explain, I need to test the device to make sure I'm receiving the signals. They'll probably be like, oh, oh yeah, okay. And they'll go ahead and do it. In many cases, I ran into the explanation of, oh, I thought we only do that if it's handheld captioning or assisted listening. So... This is a very new service. Many of the people in it that, that are actually working there, helping guests, uh, may never have experienced working with someone like myself yet. So uh, it's, it's kind of unique for them. In fact, they get very excited when they hear that, hey, this is all going to be described. Oh, so cool. They, they practically want to go with you just to, to hear it themselves <laughs> and encourage it. Say, hey, have you heard this? Oh, you haven't? You should go and try it on your day off. The more people that are aware of it, the better they can help. The other thing, and this is why I've saved this for last, you get to put down a $100 deposit on the device. I was going to ask, is it, does it cost anything? It is free, though don't forget to return it. If you walk out of the park, you've, it, it's not that you've bought it. Bring it back the next day. Try to explain it. I haven't run into that. I don't know what they'll do. But I can tell you this, I've brought it back every time because losing 100 bucks is not something I was interested in doing. 
they do charge them every night. They do make sure that they're working. Uh, the one thing I've also noticed in just a little experience kind of thing here, uh, make sure the back door, you can feel it, it has a tactile Mickey Mouse sticker on it, is completely flat. If one corner is sticking up higher than the other, that means that the battery door is not secure and your device may reset while you're using it. I had it happen. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. Yeah, it's something to keep in mind because on occasion they do change batteries and it's something that uh, you know they might not have noticed. I mean, people like myself and others who are visually impaired tend to know these, notice these little tactile details. So, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Something uh, beyond the description, by the way, Paul. Uh, the WDW uh, dining and wait times apps that are found right now in the App Store uh, are extremely good park guides if you're visually impaired and happen to have an iPhone 3GS. Really? The, yeah. The reason being that the wait times app, specifically, for example, I can say, okay, near me or nearby, I think the icon is called, and then I can see what attractions are nearby and it will tell me the nearest attraction and how many yards I am to it. And if I keep walking, it will in real time uh, change those numbers. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Yeah, and it, it worked so well for me on this past trip. Uh, in fact, with VoiceOver, which is a screen reader built into the iPhone, for those of you who don't know, uh, yes, an iPhone touch, touch screen as it is is completely usable by somebody who's visually impaired. Uh, the VoiceOver function... You just find the attraction you're interested in going to, and it will describe to you how many minutes the wait is and how many yards you are away from it. As you walk closer and that attraction literally moves up the list, you just need to readjust yourself so that you can find it in the list. It'll move up as you get closer. And I was using it to literally do things like 25 minutes, Space Mountain, 120 yards, 100 yards, you know, 75 yards, 50 yards, 10, you know, or 20 yards, 15 yards, 10 yards, 7 yards, 4 yards, 2 yards. Hey, is this Space Mountain? <laughs> yeah. You passed Sweet. it. Go back. Nope. <laughs> Not once. And that's what's so cool. Also, this is the first experience I've ever had, other than places I'm extremely familiar with, where I've been able to walk into a sit-down restaurant and have somebody come up to me and say, oh, would, do, uh, do you know what you would like to have tonight? Yes, I do, because that dining app has all the menus in it. And so all I had to do is go ahead and look through the menus, pick out what I wanted, and, hey, wait a minute, doesn't this sound like something you sort of take for granted? It's <laughs> a very good point. So, yeah. yeah, what an awesome thing. And by the way, uh, I use the, the GPS and the same nearby, what's near me? Hey, you know what? I'm hungry right now. What's near me? Hey, look, uh, Toluca turkey leg. Okay, awesome. How many yards? What they need to put build into that application, though, is what's good on the menu. <laughs> yeah, well, what's good on the menu is so subjective, though. <laughs> Maybe, a, but but a calorie counter might help. That might work. But but I'll tell you right now. Well, yeah, when you're at Disney World, you're you're not thinking about the calories unless you're a local. Absolutely. Well, this entire situation is something that I'm sure most people don't think about. You know, I can tell you, I trip people sometimes i bump into people but you wouldn't believe how friendly people are you wouldn't believe how many cast members will ask me hey uh you know is, is everything cool you know where you're going i can't tell you how many people come up to me and go i just got to tell you i don't know how you're doing this but that's pretty cool <laughs> well that's that's pretty much how i started this out was by saying you know it just amazes me that you actually managed to pull this off and and it's kind of with the help of this team of people 
that is that is doing all of these descriptive audio you know services that's got to be a lot of work there is a team at disney uh that is based on uh it's, it's a team that handles accessibility for domestic parks they are simply the most amazing people the job of getting this done has taken years because it's so difficult uh they they literally have to have somebody who's a professional describer describe these things then they have to take or they first have to kind of take some video of of the attraction send it off to someone who's going to professionally describe the attraction then they have to actually sync that resulting audio and edit that audio to the attraction and then they have to get feedback which is where i come in they've been very generous in letting me play around with their creations and give them feedback just being able to provide to them feedback i know they take it as a gift but for me to be able to give that feedback just means that if i even had a slightly bad experience for anything i know that that next person who walks in who's visually impaired who has never been on one of these attractions before isn't going to have that problem or is simply going to have an improved experience because i had a chance to test it and because this dedicated team at disney really listens to feedback they also really know what they're doing i mean just just completely know what they're doing awesome i trust them entirely they've they've got everything right very rarely is there anything that hasn't gone right the only thing uh that that didn't go right is how i met them in the first place the 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 first thing that they ever did was made these braille signs that are next to guest services uh they they put tactile indicators on the map of where attractions are with braille numbers and a key off to the side in braille with what number associates with what attraction but it was literally like okay imagine if i handed you a piece of paper with numbers where attractions are relative to each other but no map just just a, a sheet of randomized numbers kind of on out in space and there, there's no map it's just numbers doesn't seem like that that would help at all so apparently I can walk straight south from Spaceship Earth and I get to the seas. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So there, there's no tactile indicators to indicate sidewalks, buildings, waterways, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, you know, I, I ended up meeting these really amazing people just through the, the, the feedback I provided about that. And ever since then, they've been the most fantastic team to work with. And I, I'm so excited that People can enjoy this at Disney World now. And I know that, you know, there's there's things going on with, with both coasts. So it's, you know, just something uh, that as we move on, they'll probably do more. It's, it's, it's something that takes time, but it's worth every moment. Well, you just brought something up. Good here. We've, we've completely uh, stayed at uh, the Florida parks. The, do they have this at Disneyland as well? Well, I haven't visited the West Coast yet, but I know that when I go to visit it this summer, there should be some great things to check out. Absolutely. So I guess uh, if you are a uh, visually impaired person, walk in, go to the left, and ask for uh, Disney's descriptive audio service, and uh, they will let you know if it's available and what attractions it's available for. Yeah, all you really need to get around the parks is a, uh, I mean, at a bare minimum, if you don't have the, the, the ultimate in fun tech iPhone, uh, a Braille compass, and Disney's audio description is really what you need. Those are things that are easy to get your hands on. 
though the one other thing that it takes is you've, you've got to decide if it's right for you to go with somebody or to go yourself. Um, I can tell you I'm an experienced traveler. I, I'm also, you know, just somebody who is, is willing to make the mistake. I am okay and very comfortable with being lost in a place like Disney. When people uh, I work with, friends, family, when they ask me, why do you keep going to Disney parks? Why don't you go somewhere else? I just say, well, when I'm on vacation, I don't want to think about what I'm going to do if I get lost. I just know that if I get lost, I can essentially just wait for a cast member to go, do you know where you're at? No. Ooh, okay. <laughs> They're pretty sweet. They, they help you out. And there's a few things that have been uh, a challenge. I would say that uh, I, I've ran into the most challenging thing in the world at Disney World is easily the bus system. But you know what? It's only one small part of your day and there's so much security around that you're, you're going to be fine. But to go and to do this, I, I know right now, I ask all the time, hey, is there, is there anybody else that's doing what I'm doing? And no. And that's a disappointment. I know that there are people who are visually impaired who go with their family or go with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a, a somebody. But to me, it's, you know, go out there, go yourself. I know that they had a huge group go over the summer as, as a group from the uh, American Council of the Blind conference that happened in Orlando. Um, but there's just something about being able to walk around the parks yourself. I mean, Paul, you know, you go solo sometimes. It's, it's different. Absolutely. It's one of the best things that, uh, that I can do. And I can imagine that it's very liberating and, and quite fun for you to do. Oh, yeah. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Hey, is this Space Mountain? No, it's uh, the TTA. Okay, that sounds cool. Let's go. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it's not like I'm missing a movie. Good point. It's not like I, can't, it's not, it's not like I ended up somewhere where I didn't want to be. Hey, look, is this Pirates? No, it's, uh, you know, it's the Jungle Cruise. No, sure, why not? Yep, we're going for a boat ride. Hey, and there's some ice cream. Sweet. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much, Ryan, for coming on the show and sharing this with us. Yeah. I uh, Absolutely. You know, I, I don't know of anyone else, uh, like you said, that is doing this, and so you're absolutely the best source for uh, for this, and thank you for providing the uh, the audio. And uh, we will uh, we'll sample a little bit more of that as we end the show here. But, uh, again, thanks for coming on. Yeah. It's, it's for me why I can go on a Disney vacation and still enjoy it every time. We float into a dark cavern where pointy rock-like stalagmites and stalactites extend from the floor and ceiling. On our right, lights glimmer from a distant seaport town. Up ahead, a waterfall cascades into our path. The ghostly face of the pirate Davy Jones appears on a misty curtain. We pass through the waterfall and the mist swirls around us. Our boat glides deeper into the shadowy cavern.
we drift past a cove. On the left, the skeletons of three pirates litter a beach near an abandoned lantern and shovels. A starfish lies near a green crab on the sand. In a shallow grave, one of the skeletons has an eye patch and holds a pistol in his bony hand. Beside him, a skeleton wearing a bandana is stabbed in the back. Plants grow around the third skeleton, who's pinned to a rock by an enemy's blade. His jaw gaping in a frozen scream, the pirate still grips his sword. A seagull perches boldly on his large, wide-brimmed hat. Our boat rides into a thunderstorm. On the right, a skeleton steers the wheel of a ghostly ship ravaged by the seas. Wind whips at his tattered clothes and ripples the ship's ragged sail. More wreckage lies in a heap on our left. Up ahead, our boat plunges down a waterfall. At the bottom, we ride into a battle scene. On the left, Captain Barbosa's pirate ship towers over us, exchanging cannon fire with a Spanish fort on the right. As Cannonball directs his men from the deck, several gunners peek over the ship's wooden rail. A red cross is emblazoned on one of the ship's square sails. Smoke wafts through the air. As Barbosa directs his men from the deck, several gunners peek over the ship's wooden rail. A red cross is emblazoned on one of the ship's square sails. Smoke wafts through the air. At the fort, cannons slide in and out of crenellated battlements, returning fire. Enemy attacks riddle the stone structure with blackened holes. Small turrets accent the fort's high, imposing wall. Across the channel, a noose dangles from a fortification tower. We leave the battle and enter a town overrun with pirates. Stolen loot spills out of treasure chests. On the right, a pirate dunks the town mayor into a well. More prisoners sadly wait their turn. A pirate shoots at a second-story window where a townswoman peers out. Just beyond, outside a ransacked dress shop, Captain Jack Sparrow hides between two dress dummies. Vines of lush red bougainvillea flowers grow on the town's Spanish-style stone buildings. A few palm trees shade the cobblestone streets. We enter an outdoor marketplace. Under a banner that reads, Take a wench for a bride, a pirate auctions off the town's women. A stout lady pivots on the auction block as a red-haired woman waits, lifting her long skirt to show off her shapely ankles. A gang of rowdy pirates watches from across the channel. On a bridge, a tipsy pirate hoists a bottle of rum. We travel underneath and find gangs of pirates pillaging the townspeople's homes. On the left, two pirates run in circles as they carry a trunk. A woman brandishing a pitchfork chases a pirate stealing chickens. In another home, a woman pursues a pie thief with a rolling pin. On the street, a mustached pirate sits with his scruffy dog, holding a key as he studies the treasure map. Behind him, Captain Jack Sparrow peeks out of a barrel and sneaks a look. In another home, a thieving pirate flees from a woman swinging a broom. They run onto a veranda draped with vines of purple wisteria flowers. On the right, a pirate wearing an eye patch offers a tankard mug of rum to two tabby cats. Moving on, our boat drifts underneath a bridge. On the left, three pirates stand in front of a stable, playing musical instruments and singing. Just beyond, the town is on fire. 
One of the musicians strums a mandolin. It looks like a small guitar. Another pirate squeezes an accordion. Beside them, a donkey looks out of the stable's Dutch door and joins them in song. A pirate waving a blazing torch slumps against a drunken comrade as the town burns around them. Red flames flicker in windows throughout the town. At the water's edge, an escaping pirate steps into a small boat. He carries an overflowing treasure chest and balances a stack of colorful hats on his head. More loot is strewn around the ravaged town. On our right, a pirate dozes in the mud with three smiling pigs. Overhead, a pirate hugging a barrel of rum sits on a bridge, his muddy foot dangling above us. Our boat slips underneath. Travel into the town's gloomy dungeon. Three prisoners on the right grip their cell bars. Behind them, a window gives a view of the burning town. In the next cell, three more prisoners try to lure a scruffy dog holding a ring of keys in its mouth. One prisoner offers a bone and another holds a rope. The dog sits just out of reach. Around a bend, we approach an unlocked treasure vault. Captain Jack Sparrow rocks in a throne-like chair, surrounded by sparkling treasure. He holds a jeweled goblet and a gold medallion. A parrot perches on a chest of coins. We pass a stockpile of guns and daggers outside the vault. Then, as our adventure ends, our boat docks next to a platform on the left. Hey everyone, Paul here. I'm hoping that you all enjoyed the show and that you all have learned all of this great information about the assistive listening devices, etc. Well, as fate would have it, that original recording was made back in January of 2010, and since I have been so busy, I have not been able to release this show. 
Well, that ended up being advantageous because Disney is just about to release an upgrade to all of the stuff that we just talked about. So I have brought Ryan back on the show and he is here to tell us all about this brand new thing. Welcome back to the show, Ryan, even though it's only been a few minutes. But it feels like forever. Doesn't it now? It's been <laughs> six months for us. It's been 30 seconds for them. Ah, okay. Well, that's why they have the time machine. Awesome. That's it. Yes, exactly. I've got a time machine. It's sitting in my uh, living room. The only problem is it only goes forward and at real time. I've got a time capsule. I guess that counts. That does. <laughs> so so what is it that Disney is doing? Yeah, basically what's happening is uh, in addition to all that cool descriptive audio and descriptive narration while you're in the uh, attractions, now they take that out of the attractions so that you can, you know, find your way around the parks and experience what it is to just uh, meander around uh, the park and kind of find different things by discovering, kind of like how somebody with vision would as you walk into different parts of the park, there's a lot of architecture and a lot of features that you would miss if you didn't see them. And for example, for me, uh, I think it's really cool because you miss a lot of these details, uh, especially when you know you're you're walking around like me. I hear all the audio. I hear you know where people are. I hear where uh, you know I can hear the people mover. I can hear all these people. I hear the music. I hear. Uh, kids screaming, I get stabbed by a stroller, but what I miss is all the architecture and all the visuals of what's around me. And it's so cool to be able to actually enjoy that stuff with this new service that Disney is providing. Okay, so let, let me make sure I understand what, what what were you talking about here. Now, you said that they take it out of the attractions. I assume you didn't mean they're actually removing it from the attractions. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, okay. It, 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 they're t they're, it's going now... Okay, we, we had the attractions, that's great, so your experience only began once you were in an attraction, but now we're going beyond the attractions to uh, the entirety of a park. Gotcha, okay, so as you're walking down Main Street now, it's going to say, the buildings uh, on, you know, on either side of you are an old-time yeah. street-looking place kind of thing in pastel colors. And That's right. I, I I don't know what it's going to say for Main Street yet because I haven't had a chance to experience Main Street, but I have had a chance to experience Canada. Ah, eh? Yeah, Canada, eh? It was pretty awesome. Uh, this was a long time ago, uh, so I, I will pre-warn you that uh, when I tested it, it was conceptual at the time. Okay. And I haven't had a chance to see the finished product because I haven't been back to Disney World since December. Uh, unfortunately, none of it was ready to play with at that point. Okay. Uh, so this is all something that obviously they've they've worked hard on, but only had a chance to really implement more recently. I would think that it would take a long time to describe the parks. So maybe two years is definitely enough time. So for uh, let's say you are using this device and you walk into Canada, what what does it say? Well, it vibrates to tell you, hey, uh, listen up. There's something to hear. And it gives you an overview of the zone you just stepped into. And the entire park, for example, Epcot is set up into zones. They have these, uh, I guess the idea is that you've walked into an area of interest. And so you'll get a brief overview of that area automatically. Hollywood Boulevard audio menu. Choose one of seven. One, area description. 
Disney's chic 1930s and 40s style Hollywood Boulevard paves the way to the experiences and landmarks of the world of showbiz. Silver screen glamour, Broadway style spectacles, popular TV, and behind the scenes know how create the Hollywood that never was and always will be. Stunt performances, interactive shows, and gallery exhibits await us as we stroll among shops and restaurants modeled on a range of looks, from Spanish mission style stucco and tile to elegant art deco. Choose one of two. One, detailed description. Two, exit menu. At that point, you can actually enter an audio menu to select more detail about uh, the surroundings, attractions, restaurants, you know, that sort of thing. Shops. So it's, it's very cool because you can start with a simple overview and then work your way into the more detailed if you're uh, in the position to be able to stand around and take in the moment. Three, restrooms. Restrooms on Hollywood Boulevard are next to the main entrance courtyard near stroller and wheelchair rental and also next to Mickey's Sorcerer Hat near the American Idol Experience. Oh, interesting. So it, it gives you the overview and then you select a sub-menu basically and you can choose different buildings or different attractions or whatever for it to describe to you. That's right. So for example, if you've entered Canada and you're in any of the zones in Canada when you select attractions, it will tell you about uh, the, you know, Canada movie. Two, attractions. And we're, you know, just in general where it is. But this is the biggest thing I can tell you. It is not in any way meant to be a wayfinder. Uh, meaning it's not going to tell you you're, you know, so many feet from the entrance. This isn't what it's about. It is using GPS, but only for the purposes of knowing what zone you're in. One of the things about Florida with the changing weather with somebody who's visually impaired, maybe not knowing whether there's cloud cover, GPS can change in accuracy. And so it's better to have these zones where you're describing something in general than something specific. Hmm. Because, for example, it may not necessarily tell you which direction you're pointing and what's directly ahead of you, but it may generally describe what's around you. It not knowing which direction you're particularly pointing or... uh, you know, whether you're at the edge of the zone or in the center, uh, these zones are fairly large areas. So the, the detail uh, selection is meant to go into the, the, the utter detail of everything around you. That's why there is the overview. So it says, like, welcome to the Great White North, eh? <laughs> I wish it was that themed, but to tell you the truth, it's nice to have a narrator that's, uh, I guess you could say, uh, impartial and unbiased as far as emotion goes like the way it's described is fairly straightforward just like the attraction audio we just heard um it's it's fairly lacking emotion or anything so that it doesn't sway you one way or the other and and you get to uh, have the experience that everybody else does you know you 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 kind of decide what mood you want to be in from hearing the information okay so it doesn't say oh you've really got to try the cheese soup it's so good no, but that would be kind of fun. I, I don't know what kind of fun they would have here, but I guess the one the one part about this is uh, it is a unified experience now. So whether you're inside or outside, uh, you'll have a lot more information. Hollywood Boulevard audio menu. Choose one of seven. One, area description. Two, attractions. Three, restrooms. Four, food and beverage. Five, merchandise. Six, 
Entertainment. An impromptu group of vintage Hollywood personalities, the Citizens of Hollywood, appears regularly along Hollywood Boulevard. A variety of other entertainers occasionally make appearances throughout the day. Performance days and showtimes may vary. Pixar Block Party Bash, a daily parade, makes its way through Hollywood Boulevard featuring favorite Disney Pixar characters. The one thing that this definitely does is open up the door for more independent travel. So it's something that, okay, if before you were traveling with your family and you were going to listen to these attractions as your family got to them, uh, it may give you an opportunity to go and why not just go explore on your own because this thing is going to describe what's around you. And one of the thing, things about the parks is, well, they're meant to just be, you know, gone through at random. So if you end up in spots where you didn't expect to be, at least you get an overview and you go, oh, okay, maybe I wasn't supposed to be over near interventions. I already heard that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go the other way. And, <laughs> you know, the zones will sort of help you know what's around you in general. So you can just feel free to explore. So if you didn't have the the you know if you didn't have the courage to do it before, this should help you have the courage to do it now. Very nice. Okay, so this sounds like something that's very very cool. Is is this going to be um, everywhere, or or just the parks? Do you know? It's it's not going to go beyond park gates. Okay. Not right now. I don't know what they're doing in the future, but I know right now it's just in the parks. Okay, and will it be all the parks? Uh, that I don't know to what extent each park is covered at this point, but I can tell you this. You will have to take your device to guest services, turn it in, hop your park, go to guest services, pick it up again. Okay. And the reason why is because, quite frankly, they now have so much data on these devices that each device is limited to a park. Gotcha. Okay. So this is, uh, this is something, depending on when this show comes out, uh, this either is going to happen on the 22nd of June or it happened on the 22nd of June that they announced this. And so other shows, news shows, things like uh, Inside the Magic um, or probably uh, WDW Today or something like that probably had some more detailed coverage in regards to what they said. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and other things have happened, too, since we discussed last time. Like, for example, they had a description for Captain EO uh, in Disneyland, which had not been described even its, in its original... Uh, runs. So if anybody was wondering what did they bring back to Captain Neo that wasn't there in the first place, uh, descriptions, the one thing that they did introduce that was brand new for the attraction. Oh, they introduced the shaking that was brand new too. Oh, I mean, yeah, but I'm talking about like a lot of people were were thinking what effects got introduced. Yeah, you're talking about what good things got introduced. Yeah, trust yeah. me, this description was very good. It was, it, it was something to the point where uh, even hearing uh, in between Michael Jackson's lyrics, they were taking those few moments to describe what was going on, which was very cool, and it was perfectly timed. Do we have a copy of that to uh, to play for them? Sure. Okay, good, good, good. Okay. Well, we'll play a little bit of that here. Uh, is there anything else that we need to know about this before, uh, before we give them a little uh, bit of Captain EO? No, I would say this. Just go try it. it at this point now, the service is pretty much as complete as I could ever imagine it being. You are surrounding yourself with the magic as best as possible. Yep, it's awesome. Great. Thanks, Ryan. And uh, let's, uh, let's listen to Captain EO.
In the inky black cosmos, a starry galaxy swirls around slowly like a giant wheel. A bright flash heralds the appearance of a rocky asteroid in the distance. It travels beneath the galaxy and heads right toward us. The oblong asteroid hovers over our heads, spinning on its axis. Craters pockmark its barren surface. The cosmos, a universe of good and evil, where a small group struggles to bring freedom to the countless worlds of despair. A ragtag band, led by the infamous Captain Eel. A battered spaceship zaps the asteroid. Sails fan out over the ship's back. On the bridge, a furry two-headed navigator pushes controls. This planet doesn't look so dangerous, Idy. Is this it, Odie? We'll see. Oh, we better find that landing beacon. Hey, Hooter, we're almost there. A green elephant-like oh, alien. Boy. Don't get too close or you'll trip their intrusion alarm. Yeah, don't go at you guys. Relax, there's no problem. Intrusion alarm! Battle alert! Battle alert! Major Domo, a robot. Don't panic, that's what got us into trouble the last time. Hooter sneezes, spray flies everywhere. Captain EO rises up onto the bridge. Minor Domo, a little robot, blinks his bright eyes. It looks like we tripped their intrusion on our They got too close. We're going in. the ship is in absolutely no condition to go into battle. I thought we'd begin by cleaning up Hooter's bunk. Hooter throws a can. Listen, the command considers us a bunch of losers. But we're gonna do it right this time because we're the best. We don't, we'll be drummed out of the core. We won't let you down this time, we're sir. We're gonna do it right. That's right. We'll be perfect, sir. By the book. Hooter salutes. Okay. The captain salutes. Captain! There's something weird out there! A patrol ship! I thought so. Maybe we can outrun. The enemy ship looks like a bird. Hooter covers his eyes. The captain pulls on the steering yoke. The ship flies upside down. Minor Domo whizzes into a compartment on Major Domo's back. Fuzzball, an orange-haired space monkey with wings, peers through a periscope. The enemy ship fires lasers. Lasers blast through space. The ship wobbles as it soars over a murky city laced with cables, tunnels, and steaming vents. A holographic face appears on the ship's bridge. No, sir, everything's under control, sir. Hooter throws food at the face. A star-shaped missile chases the ship into a tunnel. The missile explodes. Parts of the ship break off and fly at us. Food oozes away from Commander Boggs' eyes. What's going on? Stop 
the red button. Peter jumps up and pushes the button. The sails fold up just in time. The ship flies into a narrow tunnel. Outside, a missile explodes. Cables and pipes clutter the tunnel. Commander Bog gapes. We're losing power! The ship bounces off the sides of the tunnel, throwing off sparks. Captain EO guides the ship out. The ship crashes. It skids along the ground and stops. Minor Domo stretches, transforming into an electronic synthesizer. A keyboard encircles the robot's core. Major Domo kicks off one of his legs, and it turns into a string bass instrument for Fuzzball to pluck. Next, the robot pulls off his metallic head, tosses it into the air, then balances upside down on his shoulders. He catches the head, stretches out his limbs, and turns into a drum set. His head opens and he grabs a microphone from inside. Captain EO whips off his cape. Hooter trips on the cape and slides into the synthesizer. He breaks it. The alien guards march toward the crew. Hooter snaps loose keys into the keyboard. The guards surround Captain EO. Hooter connects two sparking cables. Hooter bangs the keyboard. The captain flings the guards away. Light rays shoot out of Captain EO's fingers. The aliens transform into men and women, clad in red and yellow costumes. Wearing studded white leather pants and a snug jacket, the captain marches forward, his fists clenched. The others dance behind him. The Supreme Leader glides up into her web. The dancers surge forward. They whip into a quick turn. With one fist lifted, the captain snaps his head, pulses his lean body, and shakes his broad shoulders. The group glides to one side, then marches to the other. The dancers freeze. The captain slaps his shoulders and punches the air. He spins around and pulses his body. The Supreme Leader recoils. Fuzzball plays the string bass. Heidi and Odie play the drums. The captain pulls open his jacket. A rainbow glows on his shirt. The group retreats, then turns back, forming a phalanx behind the captain. Their fists lifted, the dancers advance in unison. The Supreme Leader glides closer. Hooter plays the keyboard. Hey, 
two big hulking cyborgs pop out of niches and snap their long whips. The dancers run. The captain's fingers shoot light rays at the cyborgs. The rays bounce off their shields. The cyborgs attack Captain EO. Crouching, he jumps over their slashing whips. Buzzball covers his eyes. The cyborgs wind their whips around the captain's waist, trapping him. Captain EO shoots light rays at the cyborgs. The light sizzles across the captain's chest, bending him over backwards. He breaks free. A heavy gate drops down, blocking his escape. Snapping their whips, the cyborgs close in. Buzzball moves into action. He flies down and knocks the two whips together. The cyborgs try to snap their knotted whips and get tangled up. The captain zaps the cyborgs with light rays. They fall into step behind the captain. Hooter waves his leathery arms. The captain shoots a ray at a creature trapped in a niche, freeing him. The creature changes into a man. Captain EO aims a beam at another trapped creature and frees him. He transforms and joins the captain. Captain EO turns and kicks, then jabs his finger at the supreme leader. She glides up into her web. The group dances, their chests popping. Then they all point to the supreme leader. The captain moonwalks backwards, skimming the floor with smooth steps. He spins around and opens his palms. The other dancers join in. Captain EO rises into the air. Powerful light rays shoot from his fingertips, blasting the Supreme Leader with a steady stream of bright light. She holds her bony head as the captain slowly descends to the ground. Waves of light wash over the city. The Supreme Leader's lair transforms into a temple with tall columns twined with leafy vines. Sparkling light envelops the Supreme Leader. Captain EO flashes a grin. The Supreme Leader transforms into a beautiful woman with luxurious dark hair and a flowing gown. The captain bows and kisses her hand. Smiling, he turns and salutes. I would like to thank Ryan for joining me on the show and for helping me with all these great descriptive ride mixes, and to Ricky Briganti from Inside the Magic for providing me with the sound files for the non-ride-based audio. I was invited to attend the Descriptive Audio Press event at Walt Disney World, but since I'm in California, I couldn't attend. But Ricky was kind enough to share some of the clips that he received with us. Thanks again to both Ryan and Ricky for making this show possible.
And with that, I would like to thank all of you for listening to A Window to the Magic as we enjoy year six of bringing you the best audio adventures from throughout the wonderful world of Disney. As we end the show, I would like to thank the Window to the Magic DVD of the Month Club members, those who have purchased the Window to the Magic podcast app, those who now support the show through a recurring donation, and Michael Mafoda and his Bluestone Creative Group for helping to make the magic happen. We always appreciate your feedback, so be sure to email or call us soon. Email us at podcast at windowtothemagic.com. Call us at 206-984-9886. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash WTTM, and you can add us as your friend on Facebook. Be sure to join us again next time for another audio adventure in the Disney theme parks. But for now, this has been A Window to the Magic, show number 250. And I'll see you next time. This podcast is a member of the Friends of the Magic family of podcasts. For more information about this show and others like it, please visit friendsofthemagic.com and click on the podcast link on the main page. And there's Vatelmelon too! Um, Heimlich, it's a podcast. Oh, uh. excuse me! Some days you eat the bear, and some days the bear eats you. But always dress for the hunt! Come to the Surround yourself with the magic. 1. Area description. 2. Attractions. 3. Restrooms. 4. Food and beverage. 5. Merchandise. 6. Entertainment. 7. Exit menu. (laughs) 